0: Okay, so um, I want to start with a little story about my childhood. My brother and I, growing up, we had um, <clears throat> this thing where if my parents would give us a treat of some sort, um, you know, mum might have brought, you know, some food home from the bakery and there was something left and it was sort of like, boys, you can, you can have that if you want it, you know, or maybe there was one Tim Tam left in the packet. Um, I don't know how it worked in your family, but for my brother and I, we had a very serious... Uh, way to handle these occasions how how that thing would be divided up between us right and so the way it worked in in our family was and between my brother and I particularly was you cut I choose right did anyone else go with that that's a pretty good it's pretty good fair rule right if you get the privilege of cutting the thing the other person gets the privilege of choosing which one they think is bigger usually is how it would go so one of us would take it upon ourselves to cut the treat in half, and once cut, the other would then choose. Um, but I don't know how it, how it worked for you. We didn't take it very lightly. We would get a ruler if there was one lying around, you know, we, because, you know, there's no way my brother was getting a little bit more than me. You know, <laughs> that's kind of how it worked. And often you'd be, as you're cutting it, you can just tell the knife is sort of going off path, and, and you feel like you're cheating yourself. You know, ah, no, it's not working. You know, one's clearly going to be bigger than the other or, or your hand slips and the other one's just laughing on thinking, ha yes, I'm going to get more than you. And um, I don't know. We used to play these games all the time, my brother and I, and, and it was a bit of fun, particularly um, the wishbone in the chicken. I don't know if you ever grabbed that and was a thing in your family to break it and make a wish. I know that stuff's not real, definitely not biblical, of course. I know that. But... <laughs> But my brother and I used to do it because if, because if you won, it was, I, I didn't realise until later on that there was a particular way you could hold your thumb to ensure you got the big, the big side of the bone every time. And my brother knew that until I, I wisened up to it. But anyway, we used to play this game. Today's parable um, that we're going to look at comes from a man who asked Jesus to intervene and mediate between himself and his brother. Right. That's the that's the context, and it's and it's with regards to some inheritance that they've been given, something a bit more serious than than a bit a bit of chocolate probably or something from the bakery. It was um it was very likely some land that their father had given them, and um and uh, the question of who is the rightful owner of the land is actually a pretty serious question, it's particularly in the Mid- in the Middle East. Right, even today. Right? That's like, that's a pretty heavy, uh, heavy question. And, he's, and Jesus is, in, in his day, he's hitting a nerve amongst his listeners as they, as they ask this question of him. And as he uh, tells this parable, um, you know, uh, about ownership and about land and about stewardship, he's really, um, yeah, hitting a nerve that everyone is, everyone's tuned in. They're listening to this and they're, they're interested to see what he has to say. So Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool That's the one we're working through. And the chapter actually starts out in Luke 12. It says, many thousands have gathered to hear him preach. So he's a pretty popular dude at this moment. He's he's like this cool new rabbi getting around with with authority, teaching with authority. They're interested. And it says that out of the crowd, so so while there's lots of people, lots of noise, I'm not even sure many people would be able to hear him and what he's saying, except for those who are kind of near him, out of that crowd, um, there's this man who, who calls out to Jesus. And what he calls out with, although he says, um, you know, help me with my inheritance, what he's saying is he's, it's a cry for justice. Right? It's a cry for fairness. It's a cry for an equal cut. <laughs> it's a cry to not be cheated out of his share. That's, that's the cry. You know, it's a cry for land. It's a grab at what he feels he deserves. Right? And so in verse 13 of Luke 12, It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher or rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You you can even imagine him, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, he's like stomping his feet. Come on, tell him. You know, you're a rabbi. You have power. You know, tell him. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so before we get started on the parable, right, what we've got here is a man who has a problem and he's hoping that Jesus would utilise his authority as a rabbi, which he could have done to sort out the division with the inheritance, right, that these two brothers have received. It's likely that they've received land from their father. And the issue is that it, it, it probably hasn't yet been divided Or it hasn't yet been sufficiently divided. Maybe the father went to the older brother probably and said, look, here's the land, here's the details. Maybe he was the, um, what do they call it? The executor of the will, is it? Um, You know? And so, you know, it's not yet been divided. And the issue here is that it doesn't necessarily have to be divided between brothers. (laughs) These two could have chosen to work their father's land together. Maybe their circumstances didn't allow for that. But it instead appears that one of them is enforcing that they get their share, right? You cut, I'll choose, is kind of what he's saying. And he's asking Jesus, Jesus, cut for us so it's perfect. And then we can have our way and and it'll be done for. He wants everything he's owed for because that would be just, right? There's There's a strong sense of he wants what he deserves to have, right? But he doesn't care what the division might mean for his family, It doesn't doesn't seem like he cares much about his other brother. He's just like, can we just cut the deal and get on with this? You know, maybe there's already a bit of tension in the conversations that have been there. He wants justice and he wants it now. And what he sees is that Jesus does not offer this to him. Right? Jesus doesn't give him what he wants. Jesus avoids directly dealing with the division of the land here. He even lets go of his right as a rabbi to enforce the Jewish law. He could have very well outlined for them what was a good split. He could have done all of that, but there's a deeper issue going on here. And Jesus starts to highlight the issue with what is like a a proverb, doesn't he? In verse 15, he says, Watch out. And you could imagine him sort of turning from this man to the rest of the crowd listening in Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So as Jesus often does, he takes that someone's question, turns it into a teaching opportunity. Many of the parables sort of start off like this. um, And uh, he's trying to highlight the thing that's of greater importance here, something that maybe is being missed by the person who's asking a question. It's not that Jesus doesn't want this man to get what is his, Right? I'm sure that's not the case, but he's picking up that this man might have an even bigger problem that resides in his heart more so than in his wallet or how much land he has to work with. Right? He seems to care more about what he can get than the needs of his own brother. Right? He seems to care more about what he wants and desires for and what he can accumulate without considering the effect of his family and community. Jesus seems to be saying, even if I did divide it perfectly, between these two brothers, we might not have dealt with the real issue that this man has. I think that's what he's saying. I think that Jesus might be striking a bit of a, bit of a thing that's present in our culture today as well, especially as Christians. We've got a, maybe a strong sense of justice, a strong sense of what we know is right. We like to see justice served as accurately and properly as it can be. And, and I think it should be. I'm not saying it shouldn't. We often have some serious feelings about what is just and fair, you know? But Jesus is here not necessarily disagreeing that this man deserves his fair and just share of the land, but what Jesus really cares about is that sometimes, even after justice is served, um, according to what the rules say, there can still be a heart issue that goes unresolved, can't there? We see this in our life all the time. You can have your 50%... (laughs) but you may still think ill of your brother you may still think 50% isn't enough for you so what's the real issue here i think jesus is picking up that if this man's brother gave him you know maybe even more than his fair share he probably still wouldn't be happy <laughs> you know that's this is uh, it's it's hard to pick up on this as you read it in english but diving into the study the way the way the original language is written it just seems like this man's got a bee in his bonnet and he's just not happy with his brother. You know, and Jesus is not about to, while he's happy for justice to be served and and for a 50-50 division, he's not up for dividing families. Right? He's not up for assisting with that division because I don't know if you've ever had to um, be part of, you know, a a breakup of inheritance. It's tension. It's difficulty sorting out who's going to have what. But once it's over, it's like, can we just get this over with so we can be done? We don't have to talk, you know? There can be, a, I think there's a bit of that going on. And Jesus sees it and there's, there's a bit of an issue going on there. The real issue is a heart issue, right? It's, it's like the hate in the heart of the murderer, right? He shouldn't have murdered, but, but hate is the real issue. Or lust in the heart of the adulterer. You shouldn't have committed adultery, but lust is the real issue. It's always the underlying heart issue that Jesus takes concern with, and I think it's probably worth noting that as we, Jesus says a lot about uh, being rich and having a lot, and how difficult that is to, um, is to uh, how difficult that might make it to live in the kingdom of God. But I think what he's saying is that desire for being rich, that greediness, that covetousness, that that like need for more, is actually a heart issue. And he's saying, and and it could be anything. It doesn't even have to be riches. Any heart issue that you have, you know, these are things that we have to deal with. And so while it seems like we're talking about riches and possessions, we're kind of talking about whatever God's sort of shining a light on in your heart. Verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Goodo, it's like winning the lotto. He didn't, ex- he didn't ex- expect that, right? He didn't really even work hard for it and he's already rich. And so it's just like, add, add more and more, a few more cherries on top. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, right? It's like, good-o. I can just sit back and relax, and things are going to be good. Now, it seems like the rich man here has only taken a couple of minutes to figure this out, right? Like, oh, the harvest has come. Oh, gee, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm, I've won the lotto. What am I going to do with this? Right, I've, I've asked that question of myself a few times. What would you do if you won the lotto? You know, maybe you've had that thought before and sort of just played out the fantasy a little bit. You know, it seems like he's just like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just tear down my barns, build big ones, we'll be good. And then I can just chill and, have, and, uh, and hang out and have a party. But the way it's written is this idea that the man actually took quite, quite a long time to figure this out. He took a good amount of time trying to figure this problem out. And more to the point, he was conversing with himself. He didn't have anyone else to converse with. It says he said to himself, what shall I do? And in Jesus' day, you know, people aren't just thinking, oh, he's just a deep thinker, took him a little bit of time, you know, but this would have been of great concern to the listeners. You mean he got a bumper crop, he's already rich, he doesn't need any of this, now he's sitting in his richness by himself, figuring out what to do, and that they're thinking, isn't he going to go to the elders at the city gate? Isn't he going, isn't he going to consult with his family members? Isn't he going to, um, you know, ask the community? Isn't, aren't there hungry mouths to feed somewhere that he could help out with? You know, who is this guy? What's he doing? Why is he separated from people? Right? And Jesus is highlighting something in this. This rich man hasn't got any friends or family. I know we're reading into this story a little bit, but I think people would have put two and two together. Maybe he hasn't got much connection with the community or the village he lives with. If we're not careful, I think Jesus is saying that accumulating and amassing wealth and having that hungry greed for more or having um, something in your heart, whatever it is, that turns you hell-bent in a particular direction, away from God, can actually cause, uh, you, you know, like, a, like a, a rift. Would you say a rift? It drives a wedge between you and the people you have in your life. And, and whatever that is, whether it be riches or lust or hate or however it be, whatever's gotten a hold of you, this is a serious issue, Jesus is saying. We need to deal with these things. This is a problem. It's not right. It's not the way the kingdom of God works because this rich man's wealth Seems to have put him in a vacuum that he's just got himself to, to uh, you know, deal with and to try and make decisions. And he's bringing a warning and a challenge. I think we highly underestimate the the significance of community, of just doing life with one another, of mixing with people, even if we're not really sure about them or they're a bit different to us. Having that connection. And we've lost a fair bit of it with, um, get on my hobby horse again, social media, you know. <laughs> we can connect so well online, but man, have a meal with someone and it's different, you know. And I think Jesus is bringing this to light. He's saying, hey, this is important. We've got we to gotta mix and, and, and be part of one another's lives because this is important to making decisions well, to having compassion you know, he's probably never thought about the poor people in his village before because he's just stuck in his bubble of like, things are good. I'm just eat, drinking and eating and drinking and being merry and, and having a good old time by myself, right? And he's stuck in his bubble. And so the challenge is, who in your life do you not, it's, it's a bit, bit similar to last week, hey? <laughs> who in your life do you not like to really connect with? Maybe they're different. Pushing yourself to connect with them actually helps you have better compassion, make better decisions for yourself, for your family, for your friends. It's an important thing. We could drive this point home even more about the fact that um, he didn't throw a party, right? And you see in some of the other parables, when the, the prodigal son comes home, what do they do? They throw a party. Let's kill the fattened calf, you know, he's back. This is awesome. Invite the community over. Or the, um, the woman who lost her coin, you know, she invites her neighbours over to celebrate. The, the, the shepherd who finds the sheep, you know, they're having a party. The lost sheep is found. He's just gotten, a, you know, a bumper crop, abundant harvest, lasts him a lifetime. He's set and he's not got anyone to celebrate with. Or his, his riches have so blinded him that he's not thinking to share that wealth with anyone. Or to even just throw a a little party for his friends and family. Jesus is saying, this is a problem. And if we go back to uh, the guy at the start, you know, the brother who has an issue. And Jesus is picking up on a little bit of greed. Maybe it hasn't gotten this bad for him yet. But he's saying, hey, watch out. Greediness will get you. You know, these things that grab your heart will drive a wedge between yourself and your family, and your friends, and your community, and it'll cause issues. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be wealthy, right? We know that. What he is saying is that if you are wealthy, or with whatever you have, don't let it deceive you into thinking that, um, you know, you'll be okay by yourself, like you've kind of propped yourself up with this and and you're going to be good. I don't need people, I'll be okay by myself. Don't let your wealth drive a wedge between yourself and your family and your need for community and even understanding that without them, we don't have an abundant life, right? Life is not found in the abundance of possessions, but the abundance of of good community, uh, loving people around you, you know, Messy relationships, (laughs) as messy as they can be, there's abundance of life in that place where you get to show other people what it means to be Jesus and you get ministered to in the same way by other people who are trying to love you like Jesus loves you. There's abundant life in that, right? It's not in the possessions. You know, not all of us are going to win the lotto. In fact, I didn't do the statistics. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't do the statistics. I should have figured out if, what the chances would be of one of us winning the lotto, but I didn't. Sorry. Um, but we all have to work. We all have to earn money. You know, um, I know for myself, I like to figure out carefully how, we, how I spend money and what I do with it. You know, and Jade and I do want to invest and we want to, we want to be wealthy enough to care for ourselves and be able to give generously to others, right? But there's, there could be a trap there. Even in that desire, there could be a trap there. There could be a trap to maybe spend a little less time with family so that we can, you know, just do a few more hours, earn a little bit more, you know, secure myself a little bit more, make sure that I have just that little bit extra and, and even that desire, to work and to earn, you know, can get in the way of family, good relationships, being connected with, uh, you know, the people that God's placed in your life. And so we ought to be careful of that as well. Verse 20, God said to him, so God actually speaks to the rich man, you fool, and that word fool, he's literally just saying, you've been a bit stupid. That's what he's saying. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So when I, when I read this parable, I used to think that, okay, he got rich one day, um, tore down and rebuilt his barns as quickly as he could. And once he stored them, he thought, beauty, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just chill out now and, and have a good life. And that night... Uh, you know, it was all taken from him or his life was taken from him, sorry. Um, you know, it's, it's again saying, no, he, he's just cruised on along in this life and, and it was actually, he just, he did eat, drink and be merry and he took it easy for most of his life. And now getting to the end of his life, after taking it easy, the sting of God's words are not so much that his life's being taken from him, right? He kind of knew that was going to happen, right? He's, he's getting old but rather that he doesn't have anyone even to pass on his wealth to. It's like he, it's got, Jesus is painting a picture probably for this brother who's asking about the inheritance. He's painting a picture and saying, what I'm picking up here in your heart is going to get you to this place. You know, it comes back to the idea of inheritance. Who's going to get everything stored up in your barns? You know, what does it mean to have? What does that mean to... Um, have and maintain connection with people. It's kind of like this depressing picture of someone who cares more about themselves than about others. It's pretty sad. It says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. I want to just have um, this uh, talk about this idea of being rich toward God. What does that mean, you know? I think it's the idea that I'm ready to give him whatever he asks for of me. Whatever possession that I have, whatever money that I have, if God asks for it, being rich toward God is, yeah, actually he can have it back because everything I have is on loan. Even, even my life, my days are numbered and they're on loan, right? And so... When he asked for it, even if, I've, even if I've fought tooth and nail for it, even if I've worked every day so hard for it, every, even, even if it was a bumper crop that I've got, even if I won the lotto, God made that possible. Right? And so it's all come from him. And so while he doesn't need anything that I have, he knows what others need. And when he asks for it, being rich towards God is that idea of open hands. You know, that idea of, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm ready to give God. And to be active in that is to participate in the lives of others, right? Because if you, if you put yourself in that, in that tunnel vision of just yourself and your life and your plans and you never mix with people, you never feel compassion. You never feel like, oh, maybe I should share some of this, right? And so it's a bit of, bit of both end. But richness towards God is actually living richly with other people, right, to the point where you're willing to share open hands, to finish off, I'm going to read you a little bit of a poem by a guy called Kenneth Bailey. Um, came out of one of, the, one of the books I was reading and studying this. Um, but before I do that, to close, I want to ask you, you know, with regards to this parable, what's Jesus challenging you about? You know, as you hear these words, what springs to mind about the use of your own money? What springs to mind about the way that money and family and community go together for you? Has money um, caused division amongst your family? And if it has, what could you do to, to maybe start repairing some of the division that's been caused because of money in your family? Has inheritance been a big issue before? Maybe there was division over it in your family. Jesus is saying there's a better way to do this. There's a way to consider Love for the other person that you're dividing things up amongst. I think Jesus is inviting us to seek out true justice, not just two equal halves, you know, but taking into consideration love for one another in everything. So whatever God's prompting you to do, maybe there's a name on your mind now, maybe there's someone to give something to, Maybe he's asking you to give something to someone else or whatever it be, or to be generous. Um, Open hands. That's the challenge that we have today. So this is a a pretty cool uh, poem. It's actually uh, talking about um, the Holy Land, the warring that goes on there, but it uses this idea of two brothers who are receiving an inheritance. It says this, the voice told me this ancient story. Precious blood intoned this ancient tale. A certain man had two sons. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich son had no children, while the poor son was blessed with many sons and many daughters. In time, the father fell ill. He was sure he would not live through the week. So on Saturday, he called his sons to his side and gave each of them half of the land of their inheritance Then he died. Before sundown, the sons buried their father with respect as custom requires. That night, the rich son could not sleep. This is the rich son, he couldn't sleep. He said to himself, what my father did was not just. I am rich, my brother is poor. I have bread enough and to spare while my brother's children eat one day and trust God for the next. I must move the landmark which our father has set in the middle of the land so that my brother will have the greater share. Ah, but he must not see me, for if he sees me, he will be shamed. I must arise early in the morning before it is dawn and move the landmark. With this, he fell asleep and his sleep was secure and peaceful. Meanwhile, the poor brother could not sleep. What my father did was not just, the poor brother said. Here I am surrounded by the joy of many sons and many daughters. While my brother daily faces the shame of having no sons to carry on his name and no daughters to comfort him in his old age. He should have the land of our fathers. Perhaps this will in part compensate him for his indescribable poverty. Ah, but if I give it to him, he will be shamed. I must awake early in the morning before it is dawn and move the landmark which our Father has set. With this, he went to sleep and his sleep was secure and peaceful. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, a long time before it was day, the two brothers met at the ancient landmarker. They fell with tears into each other's arms. And on that spot was built the city of Jerusalem. It's a pretty cool poem, eh? (laughs) Pretty cool. All right, with that, I'm going to close in prayer and um, then we're going to sing. Lord, help us to, yeah, just uh, be able to live in that um, amazing picture of love for one another and putting others first. Despite what we might feel is um, just and despite what we feel is a fair share, Lord, help us to see past what the, what the law says. Help us to see past what the rules say. Help us to see past what we uh, could amass for ourselves. And help us to see what we could give. And help us to see um, what would be a way to love one another. We trust that this is um, the life... That you've called us to live. And we trust that this is um, a life in your kingdom. And we trust that this is a life that mimics who you are. And so we pray that you'd help us to lead um, by example for our families, for our community, um, for the people who who see us as representatives of you. And uh, Lord, give us courage if we're being challenged to, to give generously. Give us courage to give, knowing that that uh, you know you've got way more um, resources that you could bless us with, even after we've given God. If we're being challenged to repair hurts and and offer forgiveness and and uh, ask for forgiveness um, because of uh, money and the and the way that the love of money has has caused issues in family and amongst friends, help us to to be bold in that and to trust you in that. And so uh, with these things, God, we submit ourselves to you and we, we pray that you would, uh, you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen.